Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for an update on all of the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, I will say in advance that there's a bit of a storm here tonight, so if the internet connection becomes a little bit unstable, you'll understand why. Uh, but tonight, um, I'm going to focus most um, of at least my opening remarks on the Iran issue, because that is certainly the most pressing issue uh, in Israel uh, for a variety of factors. But let's sort of start at the a little, uh, take a little step back. Um, ever since sort of 1981, and the uh, the Israeli government or the Israeli Air Force uh, more accurately uh, attack on the OSIRAC, the Iraqi nuclear uh, weapons program in, in the OSIRAC region, there's been something in Israel which was uh, named the Begin Doctrine. The Begin Doctrine is that uh, no uh, threatening nation in the region will have access to uh, nuclear weapons capability. That is also what, uh, what pressed uh, Prime Minister Ehud Olmert to act against the Syrian nuclear program in 2007, I believe it was. And uh, then basically most of the time since then, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to work against um, the Iranian nuclear weapons program. Um, as we know, uh, you know, in 2015, the, uh, the world powers signed an agreement with Iran called the JCPOA, uh, which was seek to limit uh, the, uh, Iran's uranium enrichment and their ability to get to nuclear weapon. Um, it was, you know, it was. It wasn't open-ended. It had a sunset clause, um, and Israel was vehemently against it. Worked very hard to stop it. We saw Prime Minister Netanyahu go to Washington, give speeches against it. It was very loud, uh, very visceral, uh, combative uh, against it, and uh, definitely the the feeling in Washington um, uh, during the Obama years was that Netanyahu went uh, too far in his objections, and perhaps it should have been dealt with in a, in a better way, um, uh, but none of that stopped the uh, agreement uh, taking place. In 2018, as we know, Donald Trump withdrew America from the agreement. Obviously, the agreement in theory still remained, but without America uh, and with the sanctions that they then placed on the Iranian regime, the agreement was basically uh, null and void. Um, the idea was to pressure the Iranians into a better deal, uh, Quite simply, that did not happen. Uh, one can argue why it didn't happen. Maybe the sanctions weren't strong enough. Some point to the fact that uh, uh, Donald Trump lost the elections. It, uh, some would argue, as former Ambassador David Friedman did uh, on Israeli TV tonight, that if uh, uh, Biden hadn't won, then maybe the Iranians would have felt more pressured. But they were waiting to see because uh, President Biden, during the campaign, said repeatedly that he wanted to see a return to the 2015 JCPOA agreement. Um, so there's, there's, there's a number of, um, uh, certainly one can have a discussion exactly why the agreement, uh, uh, why, why uh, 
uh, basically retracting America's support for the JCPOA didn't work in preventing uh, the Iranians from moving forward on their nuclear weapons uh, capability program. But quite simply, it's clear that today it didn't work because according to all assessments, especially in Israel, uh, the Iranians are potentially weeks away from uh, acquiring uh, uh, nuclear weapons grade uranium. Uh, according to the JCPOA, they're only supposed to enrich until 5%. That's quickly became 20%. Today, we know for the fact that they have 60% enriched uranium. And that is a very uh, small step to 90%, uh, uh, which is weapons grade material. That uh, is basically the Israeli message to a certain extent is that ship has sailed. Uh, the Iranians are potentially weeks away from having uh, enough material for at least one nuclear uh, weapon. And that certainly is something which uh, worries Israelis. But now the goalposts have been moved a little bit because that, you know, that, that sort of, to a certain extent, the old story, uh, Iran will have weapons grade uh, material. There's no way to stop them. A few weeks away, it's clear that they're dragging out negotiations. So that has stopped. What's next is the ability to create a missile, a weapon uh, that they can attach this uh, weapons grade uranium to. Uh, it's clear that their program uh, is not as far progressed as the uranium uh, enrichment. And the assessments are at best, if everything goes well with uh, the research and development, uh, they're at least two years away from being able to put uh, uranium into some sort of, uh, to weaponize uh, uranium and put it onto a missile that uh, could reach uh, a significant territory aboard. So now that is where all the eyes are, at least on the intelligence and the, and the military. Uh, it's something which certainly keeps uh, many Israelis up at night. Uh, it's clear that uh, Israel, the uh, Israeli uh, Defense Force was given a, an extra budget of, I believe, six billion shekels uh, to upgrade its ability vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran, uh, which just shows the level uh, of necessity uh, that now uh, is being talked about at the, the, the highest government levels. When Prime Minister Naftali Bennett came in, his one message was, that we have to do something different because it's clear that Netanyahu's strategy didn't work, according to Bennett. He said, uh, while Netanyahu was a bit too busy talking about stopping uh, an Iranian nuclear weapon, he didn't take too, uh, enough active steps to prevent it. That was his criticism at the beginning. Uh, tactically, uh, the, the difference uh, that uh, as Bennett and Foreign Minister Lapid said was they were going to try and make sure that the disagreements with uh, their allies, Israel's allies, especially the US, were going to be behind closed doors. It's clear that to them, that at least from their point of view, that Netanyahu's strategy of openly criticizing and being very combative vis-a-vis -vis the American administration did not work. Um, so it's time to have these disagreements, put them back behind closed doors and try and work with the Americans rather than just say no to any sort of agreement, try and see what can be gauged. And that was certainly the policy for the first few months. What has happened is there's been a change in tone, certainly, because perhaps there's uh, certainly exasperation from Jerusalem about what's going on in the, uh, the talks in Vienna. Uh, it is felt that there's not enough pressure on the Iranians. The Iranians are certainly for months, ever since they, they, they uh, saw in a new president, there's been no talks. There's just been uh, rapid advancement and progress on the Iranian uh, enrichment program. Uh, and they only came back to talk to Fabe recently. And even then, you know, all the world powers, let's say, you know, the, the, the P5 plus one, which are the negotiating parties are the US, 
France, the UK, uh, Russia, China, uh, you know, and obviously Iran are part of those talks. Uh, clearly, China and Russia are seen more allied towards the Iranians, whereas the US uh, uh, and Britain and France are more, uh, let's say, skeptical of uh, Iran. Uh, it's clear the voices coming out of France and the UK and the US in recent days is that uh, Iran is not serious. They, they put a proposal forward, but it basically wasn't a serious proposal. The Iranians have said openly that they're only interested in the talks is to make sure that the sanctions that the US placed uh, were dismantled. Um, there was originally talk of making the, the, uh, the, the agreement, the JCPO agreement, what was called longer and stronger. In other words, a longer agreement that the sunset clause uh, would be pushed off and it would be a stronger agreement. That has now been turned into less for less because there is no optimism uh, or very little optimism about uh, the negotiations. Uh, what is now being talked about is uh, less, something less than agreement for some sort of sanctions release, uh, relief, I should say. Um, that is something which Israel is adamantly against. They are very convinced, and this is a message that Defense Minister Benny Gantz will be delivering in Washington. He's in the air now. He's on his way to the U.S. He will be accompanied uh, by the, the head of the Mossad, who's already there. Uh, and they, the message that they'll be uh, bringing is that if, we, if you really want to have an agreement with Iran, you have to have leverage. And uh, leverage means putting a lot of uh, pressure on them. That doesn't mean letting up on sanctions. That means strengthening sanctions. That means pushing the Iranians who are in a terribly difficult uh, economic situation. The, the Iranian real is hyperinflated. It's the highest it's ever been. The economy is going terrible. There's demonstrations over water, over gasoline, over all sorts of things on the streets of Iran. The people are unhappy. Uh, they don't want to see, uh, the, at least according to certain assessments, they don't want to see their money and their resources going to Hezbollah, going to Hamas, going to other terrorist organizations, going to the Iranian weapons program when people are suffering, people are starving, people haven't got water, haven't, you haven't got basic communities. Um, so they, uh, the message that Israel will be sending is that the Iranians are certainly vulnerable. This is not a time to let up. There's certain dis dissatisfaction that even after the letdown, of, after the delay of talks, you know, the, the real delaying tactics that Iran have used for many months, the fact that they came back with an unserious proposal and the Western powers are still sitting at the table uh, is they, it's been met by a certain extent of exasperation uh, from Israel. Uh, the, as I said, the, the three Western powers have talked uh, quite a lot in the last few days that this is the last chance for talks. Uh, that means to be seen. We have heard that kind of language certainly in the past. Uh, it remains to be seen whether that is enough to get the Iranians back on the table. Uh, the Iranians certainly have a feel that they have a strong hand uh, because perhaps because of the enrichment uh, levels, it'd be impossible to now have an agreement which would uh, limit, well, it, it would be possible, but uh, you know, it, would, it would almost be absurd to now limit the enrichment program because it's reached, you know, as I said, a very uh, short distance to nuclear weapons grade material. Um, and talk of any sort of reversal is obviously obsolete at this point, first of all, because the knowledge is there. So even if they did manage, which just is, is extremely unlikely with the Iranian regime, to reverse any of these enrichment levels, they have the ability to just uh, re-reverse that in a, in a very short amount of time. So uh, there, there's, as I said, there, there's a big feeling that that, you know, the, the, the horse has already bolted the barn. 
Um, and there's no point really even talking about that. Where there is uh, a necessity to talk about is preventing some sort of advancement progress in the, um, the weaponization uh, program. Um, but Israel is certainly extremely pessimistic. Uh, there's a lot of talk uh, about whether Israel has the ability to strike Iran. Uh, as I said, the Begin Doctrine is something which really does uh, you know, keep Israeli decision makers up at night. The idea that Iran could get a nuclear weapon. There's obviously a big debate what Iran would do when it has a, a nuclear weapon. Not many think that it would be crazy enough to launch it, but having a nuclear weapon is a game changer for the region. What it does is it basically uh, creates, if it hasn't already created at this point, a nuclear arms race. There are quite a few other countries in the region which were exploring their own potential nascent um, nuclear weapons uh, program. And one can imagine what that would do to have a nuclear arms race in such a volatile uh, region. Another thing it does is it gives Iran massive leverage against uh, Israel and some of the more moderate, pragmatic uh, Sunni nations in the region. One can imagine that um, Hezbollah having its patron with a nuclear umbrella would change the game. You know, the 130,000 missiles already, uh, uh, you know, pointed at Israel uh, would certainly, it would be a game changer for it to be backed uh, by an Iranian nuclear weapons program. So for Israel, it's not even necessarily about whether they would be crazy enough to, you know, to sort of launch any nuclear uh, capability, although one never knows with Iran. You know, the, I believe it was one of the senior intelligence uh, leaders this week said, for them, there is no, it's non-negotiable uh, annihilating Israel. That's something which they will not budge one millimeter. So, you know, whether we want to trust them or not, the one thing that... Uh, Zionism and the state of Israel is predicated on is that when uh, your enemies say that they want to destroy you, you take them seriously. You know, Israel likes to, uh, certainly uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu like to talk about the, the lessons learned from the Holocaust. And it is something which, again, uh, preoccupies uh, senior Israeli decision makers that uh, we can't take a chance on, how, you know, a, a regime which is dedicated to Israel's destruction, having the ability and the means to do it. As I said, even if they're not, and obviously there are a lot of uh, opinion shapers uh, who say that Israel, uh, Iran will never actually launch a nuclear weapons, uh, a weapon towards Israel because, you know, obviously there's, there's a worry from their point of view what Israel could do uh, in retaliation. But the questions that remain at this point are, you know, that uh, even without that uh, particular worry, having uh, a nuclear armed Iran certainly changes the map of the region, its stability, its security. The questions remain, what does Israel do? Does it have a capability to strike on its own? Does it coordinate with the US? What kind of, how does that coordination look like? Does it need a green light? Does it need what's called an amber light, which is not exactly a green light, saying, yes, go, we have our full blessing, but it's not a no. Um, these are all things which are being discussed. Uh, there was an interesting poll tonight, which said that, uh, the majority of uh, Jewish Israelis, at least, uh, believe that uh, Israel should uh, take military action against the nuclear, uh, Iranian nuclear weapons uh, program, even without the green light from the US. So certainly the support of uh, the Israeli public is behind it. They do see it as an existential threat. It is being talked about more and more. It is something which is preoccupying the political scene. And that's why it's uh, very important at this crucial point in the negotiations in Vienna, 
with the Israeli senior defense officials on their way or in DC discussing this and also others in London and Paris and elsewhere. Um, this is a crucial moment. That's why I thought it was important. We at least dedicate uh, one of our Israel insiders to that. Obviously, I'm happy to answer questions about that, but any other issues uh, you wish to raise. Thank you so much. We have quite a few questions coming in. The first one from Steve Waldman. Uh, do you feel that if Israel has to attack Iran alone, that it will, or is it just bluster and negotiating a uh, bluster and negotiating so, position? So I missed, I missed the beginning of that. Uh, Steve Waldman asks, uh, do you feel that if Israel has to attack Iran alone, that it will, or is it just a bluster and negotiating position? My personal belief, and this is just my personal belief, I'm not really, I mean, I'm certainly not, I wouldn't say not really, I'm not at all involved in any of these discussions. I don't have the security clearance to be involved or to really speak to that. And it's not even my uh, area of expertise. Uh, but I'm sure that certain plans, certain contingencies, just because of the nature of this threat, uh, are there, are on the table, are they in dusty drawers, hoping never to be opened? Absolutely. You know, this is the last case scenario. This is the worst case scenario, uh, or at least it's the uh, the worst less than one. The, the worst case scenario is if Iran actually has nuclear weapons capability and the worry is that they could use it or at least threaten to use it. And again, with all the strategic ramifications of that. Um, so I'd be very surprised if Israel didn't have at least uh, some uh, uh, plans. The question also remains, uh, we're going to add to questions, and tonight is going to be more about questions than answers, is if the Iranian nuclear weapons programs can be stopped or whether it just can be you know, held off a little bit longer. Uh, that's probably more likely because this isn't like Iraq in Iraq. This isn't like uh, Syria. The Iranian uh, nuclear weapons program is spread out far and wide. Uh, there is a relatively confident feeling in Israel that they know pretty much most elements, if not all elements of it. Um, but we're talking about deep underground in various, various areas. They, they've been very clever, the Iranians. They've learned from uh, Iraq. They've learned from other places that they need to spread it out. They need to have it very deep underground. Um, so it would certainly be, not be an easy task uh, to do. Um, there's probably... Uh, at this point, I, I don't know if the word impossible, but something close to that. Israel has shown that it can achieve the impossible in the past or the seemingly impossible. But to completely wreck the Iranian nuclear program is considered probably unlikely. But if you put it off, then maybe there's other things can be do. Who knows what happened to the regime in Iran? Who knows what happened in the US? Who knows what happened in various other arenas? So even putting it off. Uh, for a certain amount of time could be worth it. The question is what, uh, what the cost will be in human life, in, uh, in many, many other areas. But uh, these are all questions which I'm sure are being brought up and hopefully being dealt with at the highest uh, uh, security levels. Thank you. From Larry Greenberg, is Israel willing to publicly state the obvious that it's not bound by the JCPOA and stand by the Begin uh, Doctrine? Well, first of all, Israel has said from the beginning of the JCPA, uh, JCPOA, uh, from the beginning that it is not bound by it. It never saw itself bound by it. It wasn't a signatory to it. It wasn't one of the negotiating parties. And in fact, during the initial negotiations, it was very much kept outside. Now the Americans are quite open that Israel 
uh, is at least party to their calculations. Uh, maybe that's being used as leverage against Iran, but it's clear that the Americans are interested to hear what Israel has to say. One of the reasons why the head of the Mossad is there is to get the latest intelligence that Israel has on the nuclear weapons program, really all the different aspects that Israel is able to collect and present it you know, in first person and really go over the details. Uh, so it's clear that that will at least be part of the calculations that the Americans have uh, when returning to the table. If suggestions are as early as tomorrow, who knows what will come from that? But Israel's never been bound by it. Uh, the, the, the Begin doctrine is a doctrine. That's all it is. It's obviously not a law or anything like that. Um, but it is something which uh, is certainly talked about uh, ever since the Osirak bombing in 1981. Um, and as I said, it, uh, you know, it, it, it was what guided uh, former Prime Minister Edward Ormert in 2007 and Netanyahu and I'm sure Prime Minister Bennett's calculations um, when thinking about exactly what to do with Iran. Thank you. From David Levine, do any of Israel's new friends in the Arab world or Saudi Arabia have the capacity to exert any leverage on the U.S. in coming around to the Israeli point of view? During the Trump uh, era, absolutely. Uh, you know, it wasn't just Israel that was putting uh, pressure on the Trump administration to exit the JCPOA. It was uh, the Saudis and others who were very wary. They see themselves as even in a greater uh, a more threat, you know, uh, position more, more threatened by Iran than Israel. You know, Saudi Arabia are a direct uh, neighbor. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're one of the uh, competitors of Iran's hegemony in the region. Um, so certainly under the Trump administration, the, uh, the Sunni nations as, uh, led by Saudi Arabia, of course, um, had a lot more leverage. Uh, under the Biden administration, there's a lot more skepticism. There's a lot more distance uh, between uh, the US and these uh, more moderate, pragmatic uh, Arab Sunni uh, nations. Uh, and they certainly seem to have less leverage. I'm sure messages are being delivered, but they're certainly not being as listened to as uh, intently as they were under the Trump administration. Thank you so much. And from Len Getz, uh, he's read that the CIA chiefs have said he sees no evidence of Iran taking steps to create a nuclear weapon. What is the Israeli government's view of this statement? Well, obviously, there's not something that the Israelis are going to react to, certainly not publicly. Uh, I think it's, it's not just that statement, obviously. Uh, you know, the Israeli intelligence officials and community is talking regularly to the Americans. And I'm sure the statement or what uh, backs that up is something which does worry uh, Israel. Perhaps that's <coughs> excuse me, uh, even the reason why uh, the head of the Mossad is in Washington at the moment to really give the Israeli opinion not just the opinion, the facts, as Israel sees it, on what's going on on the ground. Obviously, as you can imagine, Israel has probably, you know, as good as it gets intelligence on Iran in real time of what's going on across the board. Uh, and that's really why uh, he's there. He's there not as a diplomat. He's not there as a politician. He's there simply to give uh, the assessment of his agency, as I said, which is one of the most respected in the world, to uh, what's going on in Iran on the ground and hopefully they will be changing minds uh, within the American intelligence community uh, on the uh, Iranian nuclear weapons program. 
Thank you. This is an interesting question from Jose Enrique Montero Camacho. Uh, while not perfect, the nuclear agreement worked according to any international agencies, and Iran was having was not having weapon-grade uranium until the U.S. pulled out the out of the agreement. Uh, which options are left to Iran now after one of the parties, the U.S., pulled out? How can they trust trust the U.S. again? And should should a new how can they trust the U.S. again, should a new deal be agreed? Well, certainly from the Iranian point of view, they will point at that as a, a, a great point of skepticism for them in the negotiating. And there is, there has been talk exactly how they would deal with this and what support some of the other nations would provide and what would prevent a future American leader uh, from pulling out of that. Obviously, you know, uh, an agreement could go for 10 years, could go for 15 years and longer. That could be the lifespan of at least a, a number of uh, American, uh, different American administrations. So that is something that Iranians would like, uh, have suggested they would like to deal with. Um, but as I said, as of yet, the Iranians, since they've come back to the table very, very recently, um, their main strategy at this point is really uh, to get rid of the sanctions uh, as quickly as possible. They need it, as I said, for their own uh, domestic reasons, economic reasons, um, according to pretty much all assessments uh, in the West, the Iranian proposal to come back to the table have not been serious. Uh, they haven't really addressed the real meat of the issue. They're not interested, it seems, the assessment is, to address uh, the nuclear uh, parts of it. At the moment, their main aim, as I said, is just purely to deal with the sanctions. So while they may well have legitimate concerns about that, uh, unless they really go back and start talking about the meat of the agreement, the Iranian nuclear uh, uh, weapons program, or I mean, they, they claim it's not a weapons program, but the nuclear uh, enrichment program and other elements of it, uh, it's clear that uh, everything else is just a sideshow. So uh, that's the assessment pretty much by all Western capitals that Iran is not serious. Uh, perhaps it's down to the new regime. Perhaps it's down to the fact that they are only weeks away from being able to claim enough weapons uh, uh, grade material, uh, uranium, uh, for a nuclear weapon, and that perhaps they would feel uh, would give them far greater leverage. So for them, any stalling, uh, any delay in the negotiations will only strengthen their hand. But I guess there's, you know, there's, as I said, there's a few clocks. There's that clock, but there's also the economic clock. But uh, uh, at the moment, the Iranians seem to be putting all their eggs in just trying to stop some sanctions. Interestingly enough, this week, the Biden administration did put some more sanctions, uh, mainly because of uh, associations with terror and uh, things like that. Um, but they've certainly put up, put a little bit uh, more pressure on Iran in the last week. Interesting, thank you. Um, Barack Korkman says, does Israel really have an advantage over a cornered Iran or do you see any kind of dovish moderate structure in Iranian establishment? Do you think a nuclear Iran mandates a softer ground for Turkish-Israeli strategic cooperation? I, um, you were fading in and out a little bit, so I, I think I understand that the first question is there. <clears throat> and what I understand, is there any possibility of regime change to something more moderate? It, 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 did I understand that correctly? So if that was the question, then um, at the moment, no, the assessment would have to be no, because if anything, they're becoming more radical, more extremist, uh, the, the most recent election of the a very hardline 
very, very hard line. You know, you even put them, you know, if you want to put it on a ranking of moderate to hard line, um, Raisi would certainly be on the very extreme end of hard line uh, in, in Iran. So uh, at the moment, the Ayatollah, the Ayatollah uh, you know, the Ayatollahs are very much taking as hard line approach <coughs> as possible. Um, there doesn't seem to be much moderation in the current uh, Iranian government, the current Iranian uh, regime. So there's not that much hope for that at the moment. There is a restive public. Uh, there is a public which is fed up, whether it's how big uh, that is and how much power they have and what, uh, what can possibly be happen. <coughs> As we've seen in the past, whenever the Iranians have risen up and try to you know, physically do something about their situation, they haven't had too much backing from the West. Uh, so that may give the uh, Iranian leadership, the hardline leadership, some you know, comfort to know that when it comes to it, the West really won't help the, uh, the reformists and those who you know, will struggle with uh, the theocratic and autocratic nature of the current uh, Iranian regime. So at the moment, the assessment is that Iran is going more towards a hardline approach, more extreme uh, on many levels. Uh, so that particular, um, you know, let's say hope or optimism that Iran is going to reform in some way uh, is, seems to be a long way off at this point. Thank you. And the second part of that question was, do you think a nuclear Iran mandates a softer ground for Turkish-Israeli strategic cooperation? Um, not necessarily. Turkey has its own uh, calculations. Um, what's, in, what's important, you know, there's going to be elections soon in Turkey. So President Erdogan, whose approval rating is very low, also for the economic situation, it's pretty bad there. There's been a bit of a rapprochement between Turkey and uh, some of its skeptics in the region, like the Emiratis, uh, and they talked about maybe some sort of uh, rapprochement with um, Egypt and even Israel, uh, Erdogan uh, referenced that, I believe, last night, where he said that uh, for their to, relations to return, there'd have to be some movement on the Palestinian issue. But it's clear that uh, at the moment, you know, in that sort of up and down uh, relationship Israel has with Turkey, at the moment, things are relatively good. There was a, a couple who were arrested for taking a picture and accused of spying. And in the end, uh, thanks to diplomatic work at the highest levels, uh, they were returned to Israel. Um, so there is a certain amount of optimism in Israel that things are not necessarily deteriorating. But as we know, uh, in an election year, you know, uh, you know, uh, Erdogan's approval rating is low. And what has been seen before and suggested by some is that uh, when that happens, uh, an easy target is Israel uh, to try and take on the Palestinian cause, to be the champion of Jerusalem, Al-Quds, uh, in the Islamic world has worked for him in the past. So uh, Israel is quite prepared to see that rhetoric, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, up it, it over the next year. But at the moment, there's, there's a sort of quiet optimism that maybe, you know, things can be done at a, at a, at a, at a quieter level, uh, especially after these recent incidents and even those hopeful words that came out of the Turkish administration. But as we've seen before, whenever Israel thinks that there's one step forward, who knows where the two, uh, two steps back can come at any moment. So we'll have, just have to wait and see what happens there. All right, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we still have some questions we didn't get to, but uh, we'll have to have an Iranian expert I'm come I'm sure we'll soon. be returning to this issue again <laughs> in the coming weeks. Absolutely, uh, unfortunately. Um, 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for taking time to update us this week. And for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Cliff Smith and Winfield Myers to give us a year-end update on their respective projects. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day.